Welcome to Meaningful Journeys, a podcast about pilgrimage. I'm Dr. Heather Warfield, and I am passionate about connecting humanity through our shared quests for meaning. In this podcast, I'll be talking with pilgrims and pilgrimage scholars. I will have conversations with people impacted by both ancient and contemporary pilgrimage journeys, and we will also hear from people who live at these sacred sites. This program is supported in part by Antioch University, New England, and the Meaningful Life Institute. In this episode of Meaningful Journeys, I talk with Lily Grisafi. Lily walked the Camino Frances between the time she ended her service with AmeriCorps and starting a new job. I began our conversation by asking Lily about why she decided to walk the pilgrimage at this particular time in her life. I think the seed, you know, is always planted years before you start. For me, it was senior year of high school. My best friend's mom had gone on the Camino. I was like, oh, wow, that's so cool. Like, how, you know, it was really empowering for her, like, as a mother to take a step away from her life with kids and her husband and go do this journey for herself. And that was always really, really inspiring to me. So I've always had that idea in my head. And then flash forward, you know, a couple of failed attempts of doing it with my sister, doing it when I was out of school or all these kind of different things. But finally, I was living in San Antonio, serving a year with AmeriCorps last year. And I was like, wait a second, my job ends May 31st, my apartment ends June 1st, I don't have a car, it's lining up, like it's just being handed to me on this platter. You know, I'm always saying I don't have enough time, I don't have enough space, I don't have enough whatever. So I was just like, okay, now I have enough time, I have enough space, I have the support system to guide me to that. So I just went for it. How did you start planning for your journey? Well, I had this notebook that had all these other really random things in it. And I was like, oh, I should buy a new notebook. Then that will be like solidified. And I was like, no, I'm just going to use the same one. So I started writing out a timeline. I was like, okay, I'll buy my flight there by January. I'll buy my flight home by March. And then over Christmas break, I was sitting around with my boyfriend and his family. And they were like, just buy the ticket now. I was like, okay. And I literally just bought the ticket on a whim, bought a one-way flight from Boston to Paris. That was how it started. And then I was like, okay, now I need to think about what I'm going to bring, start that journey of what I'll pack, start training, then buy a flight home. So I kind of started with the timeline and then got more specific as I knew pieces were falling into place. For the people around you, your friends and family, what did you tell them you were planning to do? I would always be like, oh, well, I'm just taking a trip for myself or whatever, and be like, oh, where are you going? And then I would dive into it because you never really know how much someone wants to hear. And I didn't want to be like, oh, I'm going backpacking for a month. And, you know, it's this glamorous thing. And I have all this money and all this stuff because that's really like not what it was. So I definitely wanted it to be more about the journey that I was taking and that I was doing this for time and space for myself and reflection rather than like, I'm going to go bar hopping around Europe. So then I would start with, do you know what the Camino is? You know, a lot of people either knew nothing or like, what the heck? Or why are you walking? Like that doesn't make any sense. Or we're like, oh my God, I know this person, this person, and this person who just did it and all this stuff. And I've been wanting to do it. And so it was very like mixed, like people who didn't know at all or people who were very, very familiar with it. 
when you were talking to people around you, did you use the word pilgrimage to describe what you were about to do? I did. It was a tricky thing because a lot of people obviously immediately think of religious context, and I'm not necessarily a religious person. So it would kind of be like, oh, I'm taking a pilgrimage. And they're like, oh, I didn't really know you were religious. And I'm like, well, I'm taking it more of like a spiritual pilgrimage rather than like I'm going for the church side of it or that religious side of it. And so I did tend to use that word just because people understand more what a pilgrimage is, is that like it's not the luxury, it's a time of being. And for some people, pilgrimage also means the suffering that you go through. And I think for me, that much more aligned with what I was doing. I'm wondering if you can talk a bit about any health benefits that you experienced during the preparation phase leading up to when you actually started walking. I kind of went through like fluctuations of really intensely like walking every day after work, doing long walks on the weekends. When I had time, I was teaching in a school, so I really only had the time at night. And in the winter, it would the sun would set so early that I couldn't walk after work. So I did a lot of yoga. Um, That was a big thing for me is I really focus on like core strength and just like body flexibility. So when I inevitably would fall or trip or something, it would be less of an issue. I also then slacked off the last month before and I was like, oh, I'm fit. I'll be fine. Like, I'll just be sore. Like, it'll be totally fine. And I was very sore, like the first couple of days, because I like definitely was not doing what I should have been doing, like three or so weeks up to it. But I also didn't really overtrain. I think a big benefit that I did learn was my shoes. Like I did try walking in both of my shoes. I brought two pairs of shoes and some people only walked in one pair of shoes and then brought two and immediate like blisters or like sore arches or like the black toenails but I did a good amount of both. So I didn't really have blisters and never got black toenails. And my feet were like fine (laughs) compared to some people. So that was definitely something I was happy about doing. And what about emotional or psychological preparation leading up to your journey? I think that one I didn't really acknowledge as much. I definitely was like, okay, I'm going on this trip by myself. I'd tell people and their like reaction was like kind of what freaked me out. I'd be like, oh shoot, I am like doing this whole thing by myself and maybe I should be a little bit more like aware, prepared. But I kind of was trying to not have an expectation of it. So I definitely was aware of things like I tried to not be like, okay, I'm going to think about this and this and this, you know, but I definitely wrote down things and prepared things that I knew would come up like big things in my life that I hadn't really processed or that were happening in the moment that I needed to process and taking that step away from my life would give me that space. We've heard about your preparation leading up to actually going on the Camino. And I'd love to hear more about the moment you believe that your journey began. I think the beginning point of my journey was the day I bought that ticket. It pulled me out like in December. I I was in a rut. I had spent the holidays away from Texas and had to go back and knew that I still had these five full months that I just was dreading, like absolutely dreading. And so then I had this other 
goal or other thing to look at and focus on. I started doing training walks with other people in the area from their Alamo chapter of the Camino. So I would talk to people about it, meet people for coffee to talk about it who had already done it and prepping my stuff and (laughs) making all of those arrangements was when for me that journey started of, wow, I'm finally doing something I want to be doing. I want to hear more about when your feet hit the ground in France and all about your Camino journey after that. I started walking on June 18th. I left the United States on the 14th. And I think that that weekend I spent in Paris and I was so nervous. I couldn't even process that I was beginning to walk. I got on the train to go to St. Jean and I got motion sick and I was so like all over the place just sitting in my chair shaking and on my last little leg of the train I met this girl from America and she was like oh are you doing the Camino you kind of look like you're doing the Camino and I was like oh yeah I am and we started talking and that first day was in St. Jean was such a blur I just remember this girl and I just was like okay you're a person that speaks English right now and I'm just like so overwhelmed I can't believe I'm doing this and you know it turned out that I hated walking with her and I did not enjoy her company at all. And it was a my first Camino lesson of setting boundaries and telling people like, okay, this is my trip. I don't need to deal with your stuff too. Like, this is for me. I want to be by myself. Please leave me alone. So those first couple days, I was just pure survival mode of trying to figure that out, trying to be like, oh, I want to be by myself, but there's all these new faces. How do I navigate that? And I'm by myself. I don't have any rules. I don't even know what's going on, you know. And the Pyrenees was hard. That first day of walking, I was like, what did I even get myself into? I just remember seeing people in front of me on the trail and being like, okay, one more person. I can see somebody like we're all walking in the same direction. Dear God, get me to the end of this day. And so definitely those first couple days were just pure eat enough food so I don't pass out, stay out of the sun and just get there. You know, I wish I could go back and do that first week again because I don't really remember it. On the second day, I met Jesse, a guy from Australia who had all these crazy things happened to him of his fiance cheating on him and just decided to leave his whole life and come to the Camino. That was the first person I met who had this story where I was like, oh my God, like I'm just here because I needed time and space, you know? And then I started really getting interested in the stories that people had to tell. I made it a point to put the weight on those interactions rather than high and by, like really talk to people and I think from then on out, I met so many more people in the genuine way. It wasn't just, oh, hey, where are you from? It was like, why are you here and what are you doing? He ended up coming back around and we spent the last two weeks walking together and actually finished in Mushia together. And that was really cool to see how we both had evolved from our whole Camino. About 10 days in, I got shin splints, which was horrible. Most people had been getting them before the first four or five days. So I was like, oh, I'm totally fine. This is great. I dodged that bullet. That's what bit me in the butt was that I had said that. And then a couple days later, I was like, oh my gosh, they're here. And I just sat down one night for dinner and never got back up. I was like, I can't move. 
I can't keep walking like this is horrible and then come my three trail angels they were three American women from Pennsylvania and one of them was an occupational therapist and she was like well let me massage your leg and the other girl was like well I have tiger balm and the other lady was like well I'll go get snacks and they just loved on me and took care of me and like I didn't even know them they just were there at this time and then I spent the next three days walking with them they were like sneaking snacks in the side of my bag putting Advil in my pockets and like just taking care of me and then after that I never ended up seeing them again but I don't think I would have gotten through those three days without them at the end they took a picture at the ocean and sent it to me I didn't end up seeing them again but just to know they were still thinking of me as much as I was still thinking of the impact they had on my Camino was really quite special too. I'm a very slow walker and a lot of people that I knew were much faster walkers. So they would get somewhere and just be like hanging out for the day. And I would come around a couple hours later, but I just didn't want to force myself to walk any faster than my body wanted to. Everybody would (laughs) make fun of me because I would get down on the ground and be taking pictures of snails or like, I'd get in a bush and take a picture of the spider web or something. And they were like, how do you see that? And I'm like, because I'm walking to walk and I'm walking to see what's around me. And I think I was taking so long because I wanted to really soak in every single thing that I could. The snails are really pretty out there. I found like an albino snail that was transparent and that was really cool. Everyone's like, that's so cool. I wish I'd seen it. And I was like, haha, slow down and you will see it. With the Camino, you know, you only really need the last 100 kilometers to get your Compostela. So that sweet spot between the Meseta and Saria is when it's just kind of blissful. It's quiet. In that spot, I walked alone most of the days. I just somehow like would end up in these little voids where there were no other people. And I really wish I had cherished that a little bit more before that last 100 kilometers when suddenly there are just so many people everywhere. For me, I liked the solitude and liked the quiet. This is actually where I met one of my other really great friends from the Camino was Alex. She's from Quebec. So she speaks French and I was a French minor in college. So that was really fun for me because we pulled each other through those days. Like we would have little French lessons or English lessons in the mornings to keep us rolling and keep us walking and we played vocab games and it was just really a really fun time and I ended up finishing with her and Jesse the Australian guy that I had met and we shared an apartment the last night in Santiago and it was interesting because I was so against the Camino family and then like that last week I was just like okay come here everybody that I know you know I just wanted to be with all of them because I realized that none of us would be in the same space together In that last week was also when I decided I would walk the last three days to the ocean because I originally was just going to take the bus, but then I ended up leaving myself extra days and I was ahead of schedule, so I had the time. So I was really, really excited because you can walk to either Finisterre or Mushia, and I walked to Mushia because it's less traffic. I wanted to be by myself again. (laughs) I wanted to be amongst the wilderness, which is one of the main reasons why I did it, was to be outside and be in this space. And I was so glad that I ended on that note because 
when I came into Santiago, it was so overwhelming that I never really got the emotional feeling of what I had just done. There's so much stimulation. There's so many people everywhere. You recognize a lot of them because you've been walking together. And I never really had that aha moment. And for me, that aha moment came when I walked around the corner and saw the ocean. I was like, holy heck, I live on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean. And now I'm on this side of the Atlantic Ocean. And that for me was my moment where I had tears in my eyes. And I was just like, whoa, I just walked 560 miles all the way to this ocean. I was really, really glad that I had walked those three extra days. When I got to the beach with my shoes on, it was just like, whoa. I made it. I did it. In addition to the connection you experienced with nature, you mentioned connecting with people in an authentic way. What is it about the Camino that gives the opportunity for that? I think it gives it if you want it. I think that the Camino really gave it to you because everyone is there and you're all in this space and there's some basic form of understanding that you're looking for something or you're fixing something or you're trying to get some answers or something and everybody understands that about everybody who's on the trail you know everybody has a story if you're willing to look for it or if you're willing to ask or learn about it you could just be sitting in a cafe at a table by yourself and maybe you're the only open table so maybe people say hey can I come sit with you but if you're gonna have your phone out and be totally closed off you're not gonna have that experience For me, it was really diving into whatever was going to come my way. Like any person that talked to me, I was like, okay, there's a reason for this conversation. You know, there's a reason for this interaction. Maybe they needed it. Maybe I needed it. And just trying so hard to take any and all of that and just stay super present. And I think the Camino really provides that present space because you're there and all these other people are there and you know everyone's a pilgrim. Have you continued to embrace this openness once you returned home? Definitely. I've noticed it and I've come across some friends from high school or one of my first best friends from elementary school. I met with her for coffee last week and she was like, you are so much more calm and open. And if I had not known that you went on the Camino, I'd be like, who hit you over the head? I am much more slow to judge. I work in customer service. And so when people are lashing out at me about an interaction, I'm like, okay, let's take a step back and see why they're upset and not get upset right back at them and trying to understand everybody I interact with, you know, not in like a, I'm trying to diagnose them or I'm trying to lead them. I'm just trying to understand where they're coming from and what their platform is has really, really slowed me down because I'm much more involved with that instead of just like how fast can we get this person going I notice that I'm much more aware of what other people might be experiencing or why they might be getting upset about something rather than just being like oh this person's a jerk or they don't care or whatever it's usually much deeper than that how did you find yourself becoming more vulnerable and open while you were on the Camino it was the fourth day this one will stick with me forever and this Italian guy he was about the same age as my parents and my parents got divorced and he was dealing with this whole experience of his children being upset about what was happening and 
going through these feelings and he was like, I don't understand why they won't talk to me. I don't understand what's happening. You know, it's like we had this great thing. And now just because we got divorced, they don't want to see me. They don't want to do all these things. And I was able to be open with him about what I had gone through with my own dad and going through those experiences. Even though his kids were like 16 or 17, they're still kids and they still feel like their life is, you know, being blown apart or being changed and they're out of control and they don't know how to process and they don't know how to handle it. I was able to share that with him and he was really able to like understand a little bit more about what his kids were going through and how to approach it and not force it and still be there for them. And I was able to see a lot more of what my dad had probably gone through when we were lashing out at him. That give and take was at the end. He was like, thank you so much for your insight. And that was the first time I had realized that people do listen to what I say or that what I've experienced can help somebody else. Because I've always felt that I'm young or I'm whatever, that people don't really take me that seriously. It was really crazy that he was talking to a random stranger about all these things. And then I was able to talk right back to him and we both were able to come away with a little bit more understanding than we started with. Was there a sense of safety that you really could put it all out there emotionally? Yeah, because I generally wasn't always the first one to be that vulnerable. But if someone was going to be that vulnerable with me, heck yeah, I'm just going to go for it. You know, like you just find yourself talking and then all of a sudden you'll be like, oh my God, that's something I haven't even told my closest friend from preschool. I don't know who you are or anything about you really, but now we were having this conversation and I don't even know why it happens. It just really does. And you find yourself being like, okay, next time I won't be as aggressive to share everything. And then you just find yourself right back in there with the next random person that you're walking with. And it's something in the atmosphere, I guess, of the Camino. There are the people that go and talk about things people have shared, but For the most part, it's quite confidential. Like I never found myself going to share things with other people about people I'd met, you know, maybe in like a generic sense, but not in like a specific, this is this person and whatever. So it just feels safe to talk about it. It does seem that there is this confessional nature to this type of pilgrimage experience. And we know from a psychological standpoint how helpful that can be for the human psyche or the soul to sort of purge oneself of secrets. And so I'm hearing that come out in what you're talking about. It's definitely a purge, especially when you're like, wow, I've never even thought about that myself. I met this French lady in a church in one of these really small random towns. There were only 10 hostel beds and we were in this church. And for some reason, I didn't really go to the services, but I would go sit in the church beforehand. And she just started talking to me and I was like, how did you know this is what I was thinking about? And she was purging all of this stuff. And then I was purging all this stuff and I was sitting in this church sobbing and I had no idea why or where this was coming from. And it was the craziest thing for me. And I think that was the biggest emotional purge I'd ever had. And I don't really have much of a connection to the church, but I felt it in that moment, everything was supposed to be shared right then with this woman that I didn't even know. 
Can you talk a little bit more about what your expectations were for your Camino and then how the actual experience played out? I didn't really know what to expect. I think I didn't realize how hard physically it would be. I was like, I was a college athlete. I've run a half marathon. I've done crazy things. It was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. In terms of how exhausted your body is and how much your feet hurt, and that was definitely harder than I had expected. Mentally, I would say I was pretty shocked at how much I was prepared to think about things and process things, but how much I processed and how much I was able to go through even in just a day or an hour, how much I could really work through things that I hadn't really worked through. That expectation was much lower. I was thinking, oh yeah, I'll think about a couple things here and there, whatever, but I didn't realize how much I would think through things. What changed for you after this Camino journey? I think a big change for me was noticing how much more I listen when people are talking. I think a lot of times I could get really wrapped up, especially because my brain, you know, is going 100 miles an hour. I think to respond rather than thinking to listen. And that's always been something I've tried to think about and try to be aware of. But it's not until you spend 30 days listening to other people that you really realize, wow, I don't listen when someone is trying to tell me something. And why should I listen to these strangers and not listen to my own mom or not listen to my sister, or my boyfriend? I've definitely noticed that it has to do with slowing down. I don't feel this need to be rushing or this need to be everywhere at any time. It's hard because I have meetings or I have these appointments. But for me, I've felt like I've broken out of that structure a little more and I'm not as worked up about, oh, I missed something. It's the end of the world. Life happens. And I honestly would be more upset with myself now if I were to rush an interaction with someone to make a time constraint. You're fairly young in terms of a young adult. And I'd like to hear what you would say to other young adults who might be thinking about going on any pilgrimage journey or going on the Camino in specific. What are a few thoughts you have for other people who are around your age? Just do it. <laughs> I mean, everybody's always like, oh, travel when you're young and whatever. But it's really hard to feel like you have it all together. Like, I definitely did not feel like I was together enough to be able to go do this trip and travel that long by myself. But I wasn't and I figured it out. I had some bumps and things I forgot, like missed bus tickets or something, you know, and ended up having to deal with that because I wasn't as planned out. But that's what makes the experience. I think that if you're in a situation that's constraining you to not do that, that you shouldn't be in it. Because for me, having that support of being able to go travel and making that a priority in the life that I was living was of the utmost importance. I realized, okay, all these people are supporting me and there were some naysayers and there were some people who had their doubts, but that's a healthy little bit. It helps you question and it helps you make sure that you're really doing it for the right reasons. So don't really take those critics as they're out to get you. In reality, use it as like that learning lesson and then still go do it anyway. I think especially with the pilgrimage side versus just backpacking around Europe, I was able to focus a lot more on myself. I was less worried about what was going on around me and more processing things that I wanted to do, as well as still 
getting to experience a new culture and experience a new country and a new lifestyle. That was what was really important to me is that, you know, I've had friends that went abroad and had friends that have backpacked through Europe and each experience is different. But for me, this was the experience that I wanted. I still get this whole experience, but on a more intellectual level and with people who are also on this journey. How was it for you when you reintegrated back into your life at home? Reintegrating back into life was really hard. I came home and spent a week at my dad's house by myself. And it was kind of a weird mix where I was craving people around me and missing all of my Camino friends and missing the ever moving side of it. But I also was so happy to be in one spot and be quiet and not have to jump right back into a job or jump right back into a social life. I literally just laid around and thought about all these things that had just happened and how I felt about them and what I wanted to do next. I'd like to go back and ask you about the interaction you had with the Italian man at the beginning of your pilgrimage. Do you think that changed the dynamic with your father when you returned back to the United States? Yeah, for sure. We were in the car on the way home from the airport and I was like, look, I need to tell you all of this stuff like right now. And I was like, I know it's a lot, but I wanted to acknowledge that I see that he's changed and I see that this experience that I had when I was younger was through a different lens. And now I'm more of an adult. I can see it this way and that I'm glad you're living a life that is making you happy and how selfish of me, but also how normal of me of a child to think that our parents make our lives really when we're young and we can't make those decisions and definitely being a lot more open about how I had felt through those years and where we are now as two adults. So just kind of getting that basic understanding of the fact that people do change and it is hard to see people close to you change because you'd want to keep that same rhetoric you want to keep that same story because that's easy. This is how they are. This is how they should be. You put them in that little corner and put them in that box, you know, acknowledging to him that I'm trying to change that and I'm not going to be perfect and I'm still going to have these moments, but that I'm working on taking him out of that box that I had put him in so long ago. Is it accurate to say that this was a rite of passage into adulthood for you? I think so. Before it was like living on my own and going to work and lived in a different state or whatever, away from my parents and had gotten through college. But I definitely think that this tipped me over the edge to realize, yeah, I am in adulthood and like I am capable of making all of these own choices and I am capable of feeding and surviving on my own and how to interact with other adults how to take that childish behavior out of an interaction and get rid of the kid's stuff. Yeah, that's a great way to look at it. I hadn't really thought about it like that. Nobody did it for me. It was my own. I wanted to go do this, and I was going to do it by myself, and I did it. I had the support system, and I had support along the way, and the training and packing processes, but that it was truly my own. When you're in high school or whatever, a lot of things are run by parents and expectations and whatever. And then you go to college because that's what's expected. And then you do all these things and 
I was doing all of these things because it's what other people had done. And it was the path that I was supposed to be on. And taking this pilgrimage was something that no one my age had done yet. And it was truly mine. And there was no expectation from anybody else besides myself. So many people who go on pilgrimage journeys realize they have done so as a rite of passage. That's one of the beautiful aspects of these journeys. They can help with life transitions, transitions around identity, and can help delineate one's place in life from the next. You just heard A Journey to Adulthood, produced by Dr. Heather Warfield and edited by Janine Marr, copyright 2020, all rights reserved. Thank you for listening to Meaningful Journeys. This program is supported in part by Antioch University, New England, and the Meaningful Life Institute. We would love to connect with you on social media, on Instagram, on Twitter, and Facebook, or by email, info at MeaningfulJourneys.net, or our website, www.MeaningfulJourneys.net. We hope you will join us next time on our shared quest for meaning as we connect humanity one step at a time.